Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. As we're ushers are just finishing up, you can turn with me to Revelation 21. I'm going to start here. Revelation 21. I've asked Caesar to stay with me on this, because <laughs> I really, um, I just, I want, I want to just stay right here in this vein. I just want to speak for a few minutes. I'm going to go in a little bit of different direction. It still connects to where we're at this morning with Pentecost, but I, the Lord, the Lord has spoken this morning. <laughs> God is, God is so very present with us this morning, and and uh, I just want to come under the His leadership. <laughs> Because a lot more happens. So I'm going to just speak for a few minutes, and then we're going to come back and, and worship and, and pray. But I want to read from Revelation 21. Um, this is a verse that, there's one verse in particular I want to read that has so, it's, it's really been just deep in my heart. It's been provoking me and stirring me. And particularly, it's really been causing me to see Pentecost with a much, as a much, uh, much bigger picture. Uh, Pentecost is certainly something that we, we encounter personally, and that's a big part of all things being made new. God is, God is restoring things through, it, through his people. He's using us. But I want us to see that it's not just about a personal encounter or experience. Pentecost, the pouring out of spirit, is something on a much grander level. All things. All things are being made new now. And God is making all things new through a, new, through a people that he has made new, <laughs> that are alive by the spirit, and that are going out now under the anointing of the spirit, and releasing the rivers of life everywhere they go. But this has started. <laughs> and I'll pick it up in verse, well, I'll read verse 1. I want to get to verse 5, but let's just see the flow of thought. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The former things are everything that is associated with sin and brokenness. So there is a day coming, we know, when all of it in its finality will be gone. But when Jesus came, I want you to know, the former things have already lost their grip on us. They are breaking off as we speak. God is restoring already, and it's unto this. And then verse 4, or verse 5, it says, And he who is seated on the throne said, The one who's going to speak this is the one seated on the throne. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. <laughs> and this verse has, it's like God is just, like it's like being tattooed in my heart. It's, it's being sealed in my heart. And this verse is one of the great summaries of where all of creation is heading. This describes the trajectory of creation and all things that are in Christ. Everything that is in Christ 
is on a pathway of transformation. <laughs> Everything that is connected and in Christ is on a path of being made new and made whole. Do you know right now you are a new creation? My friends, that is actually a finished work. We are in the process of sanctification. We're growing into what is already a finished work. The newness has already begun. That's why we're changing. Our hearts are changing. Our minds are changing. Our desires are changing. Everything is changing because the new has started. How, how is all things being made new? What is the agent that's bringing the renewal? It is the Spirit. It is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit that is the agent of renewal. So all things are being made new. How are all things being made new? By the Spirit. So when Jesus came on the earth, Jesus initiated Revelation 21.5. Behold, all things being made new had begun with him. For he emptied himself, although remaining God, he did not draw from his deity, but he drew from the anointing of the spirit that was on his life. And everywhere Jesus went, he saved, he healed, he delivered, he reversed the curse. Every healing, every deliverance, every person that got saved was a declaration. Behold, all things are being made new. Behold, all things are being made new. How? By the Spirit. And what makes Pentecost so powerful and so beautiful is that the Pentecostal narrative is where the charismatic spirit that rested on Jesus was transferred to the church. What rested on Christ and what Christ came under in order to bring about renewal of all things, he has now transferred to the church. And it is now the church under the same anointing that's going out declaring, behold, all things are being made new. That's why this is such a significant moment. It's where we've been grafted in to be an extension of the anointing that was on Christ. We can go around and by the Lord, by the Spirit of the Lord on us, do the things that he did. Do you, do you remember we said in Acts, Luke really understands this, for Luke pens Luke and then pens Acts. And he begins Acts by saying in the very first verse, he says, in my former book, I began to deal with all that Jesus did and taught. What he's implying is that in this book, the book of Acts, I will continue to deal with all that Jesus does and teaches, except it will not be through the bodily presence of Christ, for he is no longer on the earth. It'll be through his church. The works and words of Christ are still going forth, but now it is by the anointing of the Spirit. Behold, all things are being made new. Now, if you would come with me to Acts 2, I want you to see the scene where the Spirit of the Lord was transferred. This is where the Spirit of the Lord was transferred to the church. The initial transferring. God is still clothing his church in power. The promise still remains today. It has not changed. Acts chapter 2. This is 10 days after the ascension. Jesus said, wait to his disciples. Wait in Jerusalem to be clothed, to be endowed and gifted with power from on high. And it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. Unity is so important, guys. Uh, this is one of the things that I, gives me such hope in the prayer room 
is that they were gathered here praying, worshiping, fasting, seeking the Lord. And where they were in unity, God poured out his spirit. And in the Psalms, it says, how good and pleasant it is where brothers dwell in unity. It is the place where the oil drips from Aaron's beard. Oil from heaven drips in the place of unity. So here in Acts 2, we see the oil of heaven coming down on a people that are unified. And it says, it was the day of Pentecost. Now there are many significant things to this, but I want to share one thing. Pentecost was one of the three major festivals that required the Jewish people to come back to Jerusalem. It is estimated that as much as as many as two million Jews would be present. Josephus actually writes this, a first century historian. And they would come back for three festivals. This is one of them, known as Pentecost. That's how the Greek-speaking Jews would say it. But for the Hebrew-speaking Jews, they would call it the Day of First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks. And you probably have a massive population of Jews along with Gentiles who have been converted to Judaism. Isn't it amazing that God is going to drop the bomb of the Holy Spirit in the midst of this religious festival? where you have probably both the casual, those who are just going through the religious rituals because that's what they are supposed to do, and then you have those that are really hungry and curious as to the real things of God. And in the midst of this setting, God is going to release his spirit to one, give answers to the curious, but also to convict the casual. They will see for themselves the real thing of God. And part of this gathering, there are many things, but part of this gathering is it was called the day of first fruits because they were entering into their harvest season. It was an agricultural festival. And what they would do is they would take a bundle or a sheath of uh, uh, barley wheat and they would bring it before the Lord and they would wave it before the Lord as a sign of a thanksgiving offering. And it was gratitude for their first fruits. They were giving back their first fruits, but it was also a prayer for the harvest to come in safely. And it's that setting that the Spirit of God is poured out because the Spirit of God... And Pentecost becomes a sign of the first fruits of a great harvest of people that will come in as well. There is a great harvest of people that is coming in. And Pentecost was the beginning. I want to be clear, Pentecost is significant. It is distinct in that there is not another Pentecost. But what Pentecost did was open the door for outpouring after outpouring after outpouring. Every outpouring that you track through church history is a river that finds its faucet, if you will, at Pentecost. It's where it was first turned on, and the faucet is still running. God is still longing to pour out His Spirit. The hope is that the harvest is still plentiful. God says the labors are, fruit, uh, are few, so we pray. Man, the Lord is bringing about an incredible marrying together of intercession and evangelism. And we're going to be sharing over the next few weeks how we're going to be stepping out more and more into the realm of evangelism. It's not... Now we move past the prayer room. It's this rhythm that we're building in. We're teaching how to come before the Lord and then go out and love people. Love the Lord our God in the place of ministry to the Lord. And then we go out and minister to others. And the Lord has given such divine blueprints for how we're going to go out. I will share in a few weeks. Literally, Crystal received, was it a dream or a vision? A vision. God said, there's three questions we're going to go around asking. <laughs> it couldn't get any more specific than this. Literally, he has given us the spirit of wisdom onto how to go about doing this. And I am so excited. And what, what I'm sharing right now is unto where th th this whole idea of us going out in the power of God. So it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. 
And suddenly there came from heaven. What were we singing today? What was, what was the, the exact lyrics about heaven coming? Let heaven come. <laughs> Let heaven come. Pentecost. <laughs> and suddenly there came from heaven. Heaven came. <laughs> and a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So when the Spirit of God was transferred from Christ to the church, it says there was a sound that came from heaven. Pentecost is about heaven coming down to earth. Why is this significant? Because every time we look at Scripture, what we see is the movement is never earth to heaven. It's always heaven to earth. Revelation 21 that we just read, what it say? It says, and behold, I saw God's people, the bride, coming out of heaven to earth. Our future hope is that all things are going to be made new. And the point is that at Pentecost, the Spirit of God broke in and brought our future hope into our present reality. What we are longing for, which is the Spirit of God to make all things new, at Pentecost, heaven came down to earth and said, it has begun. It has begun. And what that means, what Pentecost does for me and what it has been doing to me, is it's causing me to disengage from a perspective and viewpoint that sees creation and history as hopeless, and the church's primary role is to hang on until God takes us from earth into heaven. That is not what we see, though, in the scriptures. God is never abandoning earth. He's always coming to earth. He comes by the Son. Now he comes by the Spirit. And the Father who sends the Son, and the Father and Son who send the Spirit. Now the Father, Son, and Spirit send the church. That we would be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that we would go about doing good like Jesus did. For the sake of all things being made new. God is not trying to get the church to escape from the earth to go to heaven. He is trying to fill the church with the power of heaven so that we would go and fill the earth. For when God created all things, he said, heaven and earth, earth, it is good. We separate the two, but heaven and earth are always coupled together. It is good, he declared. And every time we go around now, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, speaking to the lost, laying hands on the sick and the broken, we are proclaiming, behold, all things are being made new. I'll say it again, God is looking for the church not to wait to escape earth, but to transform the earth. Even in the midst of so much brokenness, this is not a denial of the things we see, but even in the midst of that, we come under this umbrella, that no matter what we see, even as it seems like crisis seems to increase, God says glory will as well. Matthew 24, he says, in all of these signs, he says, also here's another sign, that the gospel of the kingdom will go out to the nations. Even in the midst of the shakings, the gospel of the kingdom will go out to the nations. And what I fear in my own life that I've held to is for so long is that when I've seen things begin to shake, rather than letting a holy zeal rise up and say, God has given me the spirit to confront this, I've rejoiced that I'm going to be ready to take away soon. And the church has not stepped into its place of authority and boldness. But we've been given the spirit to go out. We're not... We're not, we're not coming to touch a world that one day is then going to just be blown up. God is transforming all things. Just as I'm a new creation, I'm being changed, but, 
God, God, the newness in me is not that God is removing Andrew. He's redeeming me, transforming. The new heaven, new earth is not that God is crumpling up earth. He's restoring it by the Spirit. By the Spirit, he's driving out every effect of sin on the earth. And we, guys, we are the instrument for which this anointing rests on to go about doing good. And I want us to, here's what I want to share. We're talking about um, Pastor Joe. It was a word in tongues and then an interpretation. It was to go. And I want us to see that the Great Commission is under the umbrella of Revelation 21.5, which is that all things are being made new. And Jesus said, all power, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore. We're going with the power that he clothed the church in. That's why we're saying, Lord, we need this power. And what we're doing is, Guys, we are not just handing out a life raft to a sinking ship saying, hold on and wait for dear life. I want to be clear. When in doubt, hell is real. Jesus is the only way. And if, it, if all you can do is get them to believe in Jesus, do it. But I want us to know that the bigger picture is we're not just trying to get people to get a life raft and wait while this thing sinks. God's given us the spirit to say, transform. All things are being made new now. We have the hope of cities being restored. Yes, when Christ comes, there's a place where it will be brought into its fullness, and we long for that. But it has begun now. Are you with me? So the Spirit of God at Pentecost is where there was a transferring of the anointing on Christ to us for the sake of all things being made new. Everywhere you look in Scripture, you will find that the Spirit being poured out or given or every promise of it, it is always ultimately unto witness. You guys hear me? Look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8, Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what is the ultimate purpose of the church being clothed with power? To witness. Now, I love all of the things that come with encounters and the fillings. There's all these different words. Fillings, baptism in the Spirit, clothed with power. I love the things that are experienced in the moment. That is biblical. We, we, we let God work. We let encounters, you know, flow the way they want to. But just know this. What's happening is deeper than that encounter for the moment. Whatever the manifestation is in that moment, it's beautiful. Let God do what he wants to do. But know this. If it's not unto missions... If it's not unto the empowerment to transform around us, we're missing something. For any time the Spirit of God came on someone, it was always for the sake of transforming that was around them. I've heard it said this way, the Spirit of God is in me for my sake, but he's on me for your sake, <laughs> and vice versa. The Spirit clothes us. When it came on Samson, it was always to set people free. Luke 4, Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Why? so that I may proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free. It was always for the sake of outward. So I want you to look with me at Matthew 28, and we're going to share this and get ready to pray. Matthew 28. Verse 18, this is the, known as the Great Commission. 
and is our heart to make disciples of Christ. And I want us to see what does it really look like to be a disciple of Jesus? <laughs> what does New Testament discipleship really look like? And I want you to have the hope that us going out to witness and us going therefore is not, is not under a hopeless lens. It is knowing all things are being made new. In verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority or all power in heaven and earth. Now remember what he said, Wait in Jerusalem, she'll receive power from on high. They were clothed with power to witness. So he's saying now, in light of the fact that I have all authority, all power in heaven and in earth has been given to me, verse 19, go therefore. The going is in light of the power. <laughs> we need to be clothed with power from on high. We need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So as the church, we are commissioned to go therefore in the power of God as followers of Christ, knowing that all things are being made new. And the Bible says that we are to teach all that Christ has taught us. And what I have found is that we have no problem highlighting the purity teachings of Christ, which are so important. But there is also the power teachings of Christ. But somehow we take those out because we maybe have not seen things in our life. And I know for me, it's been easier rather than falling on my face and crying out to God, why don't I see this breakthrough? I develop a theology that allows me to stay in this place of unbelief. Rather than letting the word bring my experience up. I bring the word down to my experience and say, because I have not seen some of these things, therefore I will create a theology that allows me to stay right here. But I believe we need to see the word and for what it says, that going out and teaching, for them, uh, teaching people to, uh, uh, all that Christ has commanded us, it's both the purity teachings and the power teachings of Christ. This is part of it. And to show that, I'm going to share two scriptures really quick, and then we're going to pray for God to release his power. That we would, what do we say to this? is all tying back to the message, that we would go therefore. We will go. We will go. And what I want to say is the Great Commission is called great because there are other commissions. Did you know that? <laughs> there are other commissions. Just as we have the Great Commandment, that's because there are other commandments, but what it means is that commandment to love God is the climactic expression of all commandments. The Great Commission is the great one because there are other ones, but in the Great Commission, we find the fullness of what God is after. And in order to properly understand then the Great Commission, it would do, do us uh, well to look at the two other commissions that Jesus gave his disciples that are part of the way of preparing for this. And if we can see what he said to the other, uh, the other two times, we'll better understand what he meant to go and make disciples of all nations. So very quick, if you could look at Luke 9 with me. So Jesus gave the great commission, but it's the great one because these two commissions come under it. We actually understand better what he meant when he said, go therefore and make disciples by reading these two commissions. Let's look at chapter 9, verse 1. I just want to read these and then we'll, we'll pray. 
chapter 9, verse 1. It says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So the first commission, he gives them power. What did, what did he say in the Great Commission? Therefore, all power, all authority in heaven and earth. We see a connection here. In this first commission, he gave power and authority, just as he did in the Great Commission. But for what purpose? Over all demons and the cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your money, take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. Whatever they do not receive you when you leave, that town shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. It says, and they, when they departed, they went throughout all the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. I, I am under the personal conviction in my own life that if we're not helping the church grow into this, we're, there's, there's an aspect of discipleship happening, but it's not New Testament discipleship. We are called to look like Jesus, and this is what Jesus sent his disciples out to do. And one other commission in the very next chapter, chapter 10. Starting in verse 1. It says this, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. You see the connection between intercession and going. Pray and then go, right? And then verse 3 says, Go your way. Behold, I am sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no, no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Wherever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Here's what they are to do, verse 9. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So these are the two commissions leading up to the great commission. So the Lord says, I have been given all power. Wait to receive power to go and make disciples. We must see that a major aspect of it is this right here. To go proclaim the gospel of salvation and then to demonstrate that the kingdom of God is here. And I believe the Lord is highlighting a faith to be clothed with power for the sake of missions, for the sake of seeing all things tram transformed around us, yes? Yeah. So why don't you stand with me? Yeah. Maybe we'll get into it next week, we'll see. But what happened at Pentecost was so significant Luke couldn't boil it down to one word. He gives many different words to describe the same scene. They were clothed with power. They were filled. The Spirit of God came on them. But the whole summary is that there was a transferring of that anointing, and the church was now empowered and equipped to go out and continue the ministry of Jesus. 
And I want to, uh, there was a, a testimony I was going to share, and actually I do feel like sharing it because I think it's going to stir faith, and then we're going to pray. Uh, in the same way I believe like the, the testimony of Smith Wigglesworth stirred faith, <laughs> I believe this one will as well. And God wants to do this today and will do this today. He will do this today, guys. There's going to be some beautiful encounters with the Lord this morning. And people are going to walk in things they weren't walking in before. And I want to share a testimony of a man by the name of Charles Finney. Uh, Many of us, I think, know Charles Finney. Many of us quote him, and rightfully so. One of the things I find amazing is that oftentimes people we quote and, uh, and highlight, we don't always know their journey. In fact, a lot of times we hold to certain beliefs and quote people that we don't recognize encountered things that we oppose so fiercely. <laughs> and, and Charles Finney is one of these men who is touched deeply. Uh, he is known as the father of modern revivalism. I mean, this man, fire of God, moved wherever he went. And he had two really dominant or, or primary encounters with God that he would refer to as the baptism in the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit was poured out, where it really touched him. These two encounters radically changed his life. I want to share one of them with you. And just know this, prior to this touch, uh, he was a lawyer uh, working in New York. His parents were not believers. He had no real thought of going into, forget, like God. He just had no thought of ministry. But he was, he was a lawyer, and back then, Joe Johnson would appreciate this, many of the law books were still um, littered with scriptures. <laughs> and so as he would read about law and study law, he would encounter God deeply and it led him to the scriptures, where eventually this conviction would build so deeply that one day he was going to the office and he heard, like, not an audible, but the internal voice of God saying, what are you waiting for? Will you work out your, your own righteousness? What are you waiting for? And he recognized himself as God, and it said he ran into the woods and had this really beautiful encounter with God where he was born again, came out with the glow of heaven. And that, that, that born-again experience initiated a week that would change his life forever. In fact, that night, because of what happened and his encounter with the Lord, he began to enter into worship with God and said his heart was overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord. And he's just worshiping God in his house, uh, so much so that this encounter that he has goes into the late, late hours of the night. Uh, when he was done worshiping and just, he mentions a lot of different things happening, he comes out to the fireplace and notices the fire is almost out. The logs were almost gone, which meant he must have been there for hours and hours and didn't even realize it. But when he goes to sit down at his chair at the fireplace, this is what he says happens to him. This is Charles Finney's own words. He said, but as I turned and was about to take a seat by the fire, I received a mighty baptism of the Holy Spirit without any expectation of it, without ever having the thought in mind that there was any such thing for me, And without any recollection that I ever heard the thing mentioned by any person in the world, the Holy Spirit descended upon me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come in waves and waves of liquid love. He called it the baptism of liquid love. For I could not express it any other way. It seemed like the very breath of God. No words can express the wonderful love that was shed abroad in my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. And I do not know, but I should say, I literally bellowed out unmutterable gushings of my heart. (laughs) These waves came over me and over me and over me 
one after another. Now, that's a beautiful encounter, but what I've been sharing is, what is the fruit of that? Well, the fruit began right away, for his joy and his tears were so loud that those who were part of the church, who were essentially, I guess, neighbors, heard it and came into his house to check on him. And as they kept coming in to just see him, just the mere witnessing of this encounter led them to begin to encounter God themselves. One of them was an elder that Charles Finney writes about who was known to be so uh, stiff and rigid. (laughs) Uh, A man who never cracked a smile, he said. And when he came into the room and saw Charles Finney under the power of God, he asked him, Charles, are you okay? Uh, He gave some response, I can't remember. Uh, But when, when he gave the response, the man who never laughed before began to break out into what he called a spasmodic laughter. <laughs> that's, we don't use that word, but that's the word that Finney used in his diary. He said he broke, he was overcome by the joy of the Lord by just watching what happened to this man. But this was just the beginning. The next day, when Charles Finney was on his way to go to work, something came over him and said, I cannot attend to the business I once used to, for I have been changed. And so he went to the local... Uh, uh, um, what, what do you call that? Uh, not a, not a, the shoe store. I forget what it is, what they call them. Shoesmith. Is that the right? No, it's a blacksmith. What? Cobbler. There you go, cobbler, not a shoesmith. <laughs> and he goes to a local cobbler, and he says he just begins to witness to every single person there. Uh, he actually testifies in his diary. He says, I believe that every person I witnessed to was so overcome by the power of God that they all gave their lives to Jesus that day. One boy in particular was so overwhelmed by God that he actually, you know where he went to encounter God? He ran from the conversation into the woods, just like Charles Finney, to encounter Jesus and came out saying, he is my hope. (laughs) But from here, everywhere Charles Finney went, revival fires broke out, and it started with this defining moment. And it's hard to hold back all the testimonies, but I want to share one very briefly because it always stirs my heart whenever I hear it and share it. And it's, it's in 1826, in the spring of 1826, he went into a mill factory in Utica, New York, upstate. This is after this encounter. He walks into this mill factory. And as he walks in, he says he's slowly walking around the machines. And he notices this one girl who's quite agitated. And as he walks closer and closer, he says he's about 8 to 10 feet away, they lock eyes. And when he locks eyes with her, The presence of God comes upon her. Do you know the scriptures say that we are clothed with power? Clothed. The only way to describe sometimes the baptism in the spirit is to be clothed, which is almost a, it's like a physical garments on someone. So when he walks up to this person, this girl, she sees him, the presence of God comes on her. He says it was like, uh, like powdering. In a moment, the entire mill factory came under the power of God. So now it started with one person weeping. Now everyone in the mill factory is now weeping. There's joy. People are coming under the power of God. There's all these things happening. And it just so happens that the owner of the mill factory, Mr. W, was in the building at the moment. And he turns to his superintendent and he says this, Stop the mill and let the people attend to religion. For it is far more important that our souls be saved than this factory run. (laughs) So now everyone's being touched by the Lord. They say, Where shall we assemble? They went to the mule room, which is a name, a, a slang name for the, the um, machines they use in the textile industry. All the mules were on the floor. So they went to this beaten up little room. Everyone gathered in. And by Charles Finney's own words, he said, never before had I experienced the power of God in such a way in this room. And for several days, I'm sure they probably went in and out, but for several days he preached. And he says at the end of it, I am quite certain that nearly every single soul was saved in that factory. <laughs> 
And everywhere he went, these are things that would follow. These signs will follow those who believe for the sake of transforming all things. So I don't know about you. I can't make sense of everything in the scriptures. I know a lot of times the baptism of the Holy Spirit leads to a lot of debate. <laughs> all I know is this. I'm hungry for more. And I've seen people who have stepped in things and walked in things that I have yet not. And I want to. <laughs> not for a personal thing, but God, I want you to get all of your glory in my life. And if there's more, God, and if these things are true, which I believe my heart in the scriptures and through church history, then God, would you do it again this morning? Would you pour out your spirit again this morning? We're saying, God, we've heard your word this morning that you want us to go there for, but you said it's in light of all power. So we're going to ask God to clothe people with power this morning. And when God does that, things can happen. So I just want you to be aware. Is there's flesh, there's lots of things that happen, but when people really, when the Almighty touches a little frail life, things happen, guys. <laughs> One of the expressions for what happened in Acts 2 was the falling of the Holy Spirit. You know that. It says the Spirit fell. What happens when someone falls? It means all of your weight, right? When you fall, there's no holding back. Like, there's no restraint. Comes down, boom, falls. The Holy Spirit falls on people. That means the fullness of God comes on someone's life. I was running like three weeks ago, and sometimes I have my best encounters with God when I'm running because I'm not like trying to make something happen. <laughs> and the Lord, as I'm thinking about this, the Lord says, Andrew, sometimes people fall when I fall on them. <laughs> and it was this simple truth that anchored my, like, sometimes I need those things to help me have faith for the encounters that happen in a room. And I just want you to know, like, things happen when God touches a life. So let's give God room to move. Let's know this too. He's big enough and strong enough to do what he wants to do. <laughs> so we don't need to force anything. Um, all we need to do is just say, Lord, this is your promise. You said it Friday night in our prayer room. You said it. Like children, you promised it. Anyone who asks, you'd give the spirit like this. So as children, we're going to come, and we're just simply going to lay hands, and we're going to pray for God to fill and touch and baptize and clothe and come upon people and rush upon people mightily. And we'll leave the rest to him. Amen? All right. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for your promise that stands true to this day. I thank you for your promise, oh God. Thank you, Lord, that you are making all things new. And I thank you that you have brought us into this glorious commission. Lord, according to your word, you call us to wait to receive power from on high. So I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon people this morning. Jesus, you are the baptizer. So as we lift you up in worship, would you come around? And would you baptize people in the Holy Spirit? Would you immerse people? Would you saturate people? Would you drench people? Would you pour out the Spirit on people? Would you clothe people, God, that their mere presence, walking into rooms, people would sense you because of the way you're resting on them, Lord? Would you fill them, Lord? Would you fill them, Lord? I pray for the empty right now. I pray for those that feel kind of dry. Would you fill them, Lord? Like you filled the house in the upper room, every nook, 
Every crevice, every room was filled. God, would you permeate every part of our beings, Lord? Would you permeate, God? Would you come upon people, Lord? Would you immerse them in the reality of the Holy Spirit and fill them, fill them to overflow, Lord? Lord, that they would be sent in power to transform all things, God. Let your glory, God, let your, the spirit of glory rest. The spirit of glory rest on your people, Lord. We want you to be glorified, God. And I pray for those laying hands. God, would you release the spirit of faith, God? Would you release the gift of faith, God? The gift of faith as a child. That you come behind them, Lord. And would you anoint their hands, would you anoint their words, Lord, to speak, to speak life. That the rivers of living water, we pray for the heavens to be rend open right now. Heavens rend open, God. Lord, that all things, all things would come under an open heaven, God. Have your way in Jesus' name.